Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Happy St. Patrick's Day, Bruce. Happy St. Patrick's Day, David. I see you're wearing orange and I'm wearing green. That's the old <laughs> Irish Rovers song. My yeah. father, he was orange, and my mother, she was green. It was a kind of a novelty hit in the probably 1960s, I'm thinking it must have been. Of course, growing up in Newfoundland, which is very, very Irish, uh, there was a lot of that orange and green stuff and the, you know, the, uh, uh, the rivalry, let's call it a rivalry along uh, uh, religious grounds between Protestants and Roman Catholics. So the orange are the Protestants? Of orange, those are the Protestants. Those yeah. are the Protestants, so yeah. yeah. Well, I think I might have some actually Protestant ancestors from Ireland, so it wasn't on purpose that I was wearing this, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Bruce, um, it was... Uh, the Irish Rovers, the only song I remember is The Unicorn. There was green alligators and long neck right. geese. There was humpback camels and chimpanzees, cats and rats and elephants. But sure as you know, the loveliest of all was the unicorn. Something like that. Sure as you're born, yeah. Sure as you're born. Yeah. All right, so six to one for the Oilers. Absolutely dominating performance from beginning to end, really. The game never really seemed that much in doubt or even that iffy at any times, which is kind of rare for the Oilers, right? Um, six mm. one. The mm. grade A shots, Bruce, were twenty-four to seven for the Oilers. And the five alarm chances, which have a thirty-three percent plus chance going in, fourteen to four for the Oilers. Um lots to like in this game. So with our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers, we'll go we'll go we'll we'll break protocol again and we'll go with two good things each because it's pretty easy to do. What's your first? Let, let me thing? double down on the scoring chances. That was our counts, and uh, uh, Natural Statric had it a 39-17 for Edmonton on scoring chances of the Garden Variety type, and 17-5 for high danger chances. So they're seeing the same game that we saw, Edmonton having having uh, having their way with the opposing team in this game. So <laughs> they really did. This is. What a strange team these Edmontoners are, Bruce. Mm -hmm. This is the best version of the Edmontoners, though, that we've seen, I think. Even better than the first 21 games has been the orders generally in these last four games. We're going to get dig a little deeper into that with some numbers in a bit. But um, at their even strength play has never come close to this, I don't think, in terms of its dominance. Um, their power play is still, it's, it's okay. They got a power play goal tonight, late in the game, in garbage time. But um, the even strength play is just superlative right now. They're just uh, playing confident, attacking hockey, and it's great to see. Woodcroft described it as coming back, actually coming back hard, playing hard back to the net, to their own mm -hmm. net. Yep. So on the back check, playing hard. And, and um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's another way of describing the same thing in a way, because if you're back checking and winning pucks, then, you, then you're turning them over and then going quickly on the attack again. And uh, we're, we're seeing both. It is um, it is very welcome. <laughs> it is very timely, both timely and welcome. What's your first good thing, Bruce? Uh, well, my first good thing is attention to detail. I thought the team was uh, uh, was sharp on the puck. 
for most of this game, and I never got the sense, dread sense of foreboding that I definitely had from really an early part of uh, Tuesday's win over Detroit, where they jumped off to the three nothing lead and immediately fell in, into a deep sleep. Uh, and eventually that game wound up being a toss-up of who gets the last bounce, and the Oilers were fortunate enough to get it. Uh, tonight, Edmonton was the dominant team from basically beginning to end, uh, winning puck battles, surrounding puck battle, the puck, good puck support, uh, and uh, Buffalo was just outmanned. And I thought one of the things I liked was Edmonton's backtracking and how uh, Buffalo didn't get odd man rushes on the counterattacks. And how there was always a second order somewhere near the point of attack with the one guy would be playing the, the puck and there'd be somebody near to come and clean up the mess or make sure nothing got through for an easy chance. And they did that most of the game, you know. I, mean, dry side a lot. I thought he made one mistake that led to the penalty, not the goal, but the penalty by CeCe where he stopped coming back because he thought somebody else was going to chip it ahead to him and he kind of cheated for offense on that play. Uh, but that was a very rare exception in this game that uh, that the Oilers were uh, uh, just sharp and on their game. And I know you're going to go into more detail on one one aspect of the team that was a big part of it. So I'll let you move on with your good thing while I put the just, chat it, outside of the room. <laughs> okay, go ahead. It uh, what we've seen is defensive excellence in a, in a in in a puck moving sense in recent games. And um, it's been promoted by a number of defensemen who can really move the puck, starting with CC and Nurse, their top pairing. Um, you know, um, both both guys solid puck movers. Duncan Keith um, and uh, who, who was Keith with? Evan Bouchard tonight. Bouchard. Duncan Keith and Evan Bouchard. Duncan Keith, Bruce, is really playing well. He he really is. He, his defensive game has settled down a lot in the last few games, and uh, you know he had a little bit of a wobbly moment in the first shift of the game, where the puck kind of went through him. But he he recovered and and uh, you know and then he made a nice stretch pass a short time later to to set in Drysaddle on a break. He's playing he's playing uh, strong hockey. Evan Bouchard's settled down a bit. He's not um, he's he's playing better positional hockey and his passing and shooting is, 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 has been all year long. It's been outstanding. Um, then you know, on the third pairing, you had Barry and Russell, you know, Chris Russell took over from Philip Broberry, who's been sent down to Bakersfield. And um, all in all, I know some people are probably upset with that. And I liked much of what I saw with Broberry's game up here in Edmonton, mm-hmm. uh, especially his play in closing in on in the neutral zone and taking away um, rushes that way by breaking them up before they get started. But I think he can benefit from the AHL. I think he can still, uh, you know, he still is a little rough around the edges and a little lacking in confidence. He's getting belted around a little bit too much for my liking in the game. So I, I was okay with that, especially if Russell plays like this. He just played a solid Chris Russell kind of game. And Tyson Berry, um, outside of one bad moment early in the game where he made a bad pinch and that sentence, that helped send in Skinner on a break. Russell was also caught out on that play, I believe. Right. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. And um, but that was really on Barry. But other than that, Tyson Barry was strong, too. And he he, he can Tyson Barry, if he just again, all of these players, if they just play fundamental hockey, simple, fundamental, try to keep it simple. They've got great skill, this group of players, this group of defensemen. And um, 
the, the strong attacking in the last four games that we've seen in this kind of A-plus hockey the Oilers playing has been, I think, sprung from the back end by excellent passing, which breaks up, which is in its own way is as effective at anything as breaking up the cycle of the opposing team as anything. Because before that cycle gets going, there's a smart play with the puck often. So I just, I, it's, um, for years, Bruce, and you will recall this, especially in the decade of darkness, we just hankered for a defenseman who could pass the puck. It just mm-hmm. seemed like such a, and, and as recently as the loss to Chicago in the playoffs in 2020, 20. all these years bleed together, the COVID years. And um, as recently as that, there was just a real sense that the orders they were they did not have the defenseman who could move the puck out of their own zone efficiently. Bruce, they have that right now. They they're getting that and they have that. And uh, with this group of forwards, it's an exciting time to be an Oilers fan. Where you know this is a this is a good hockey team. I can I'm comfortable saying it again out loud. <laughs> uh, after a couple of months where it was kind of iffy saying that, I'm I'm confident and comfortable saying it. Yeah, they're they've got the puck moving well. All those years you're talking about the uh, uh, decade of darkness, and Oilers fans had a hankering for one player in particular, Tyson Berry. He was a common uh, player, high on the wish list because he used to come in here and kill the Oilers with uh, Colorado that he played with at that time. And it's funny how that turns because now the Oilers have Tyson Berry, and it seems like there's a lot of people that uh, wouldn't <laughs> mind seeing the last of them, but. You know, you got to appreciate the stuff that he does well. And a lot of that's with the puck on a stick or when some the other orders have have control of the puck and his ability to find uh, find the holes. I mean, that goal he scored in the third period, garbage time, mind you, but uh, uh, puck went on Warren Fogle's stick of all players and he made a beautiful cross-seam pass, but Barry had snuck into the open spot, and when that pass got to him, he made absolutely no mistake with a one-timer in the near side, just inside the near side post. And, you know, that's uh, uh, that's a player that, you know, he's got positive, positives and negatives both. And again, I, I keep returning to this. you got to look at both. You can't just sort of say, well, he did that wrong, he did that wrong, he did that well. Yeah, and he also did this right and that right. He does some things right. Uh, it was funny how irritated it made people annoyed made some people last year when he led the league in point scoring like (laughs) it just really bothered some people oh second assists man they shouldn't count yeah so this year i wish he was still leading the league for defensemen and points uh he's not he's got 28 points i think yeah 28 points in 52 games bouchard's actually the leading defenseman 32 points in uh, 60 games nurse with 27 points in 54 games so darnell nurse is now plus 13 uh goals official goals plus minus which you know not a stat that i refer to very much but can can be indicative of strong play you just never really know i i would say that nurse um i would say actually if if i had to say who has been the order's best defenseman this year i would say cody cc with darnell nurse in second place but he is in second place on a on a on a team that's in the playoffs. This is the second best playing tough minutes. It's pretty good. Playing them together right now. That's one thing that's really changed is that uh, uh, Manson and uh, Woodcroft have put the pairing together of uh, Nurse with Cece, and I think Nurse looks more comfortable 
with uh, with Cece is more of an all-rounder to play with, yeah. as opposed to uh, you know the more erratic puck movers Barry or Bouchard that he was shuttling between for the most part earlier. I think they've really gone with a, a strong first pairing, and then they're kind of two third pairings or two A and two B, I guess that. Uh, uh, but Nurse and Cece are are absorbing a lot of the heavier minutes and. Uh, and the other guys are cleaning up against the weaker competition, and it seems to be working all right right now. Yeah, I I had wanted to see that pairing early in the year after Bouchard and Barry were struggling, and initially it didn't work out that well. But as they've come together, as they're getting used to each other, these are the two best defensemen on each side for the Edmonton Oilers, and the two best mm-hmm. defensemen on the Oilers. So if you're going to play guys, the majority like more minutes than anybody else, play these two guys. And Keith and Cece never really did seem to have a ton of chemistry for whatever reason. Maybe it was just Keith getting used to a new city, new system of play, new teammates. I mean, he's really, he really is coming around Duncan Keith. I I think that's a fair comment. Maybe not everyone's going to agree with that, but that's what I see. And I think that uh, the numbers that we track support that, that view of them that he's, especially on defense, he's finally getting it together and not leaking so many chances against. What's your second good thing, Bruce? Yeah, I'm going to single out Kyler Yamamoto. Tonight, uh, extending his personal goal-scoring streak to all four games of the current homestand. Uh, and he got took care of that business early in the game when uh, uh, he took advantage of some nifty dangling from Connor McDavid, who, when I saw the play live, I thought McDavid had sort of lost the puck and yeah. sort of floated over to Yamamoto. And he just jumped on it and fired a great one-timer snapshot. Uh, where did that come from, Kyler? More, please. Because, uh, you know, his shot, the power in his shot hasn't really been there. Well, that one just ripped by Craig Anderson right yeah. inside the the post. And it was a shot of a confident player. And uh, Kyler's got every reason to be confident right now, playing with uh, the great McDavid and uh, starting to pot goals on a regular basis. So he's up to 15 on the season all of a sudden. And that's after game 61, which isn't quite the three-quarter mark. That's a 20-goal pace for a guy that's, you know, not much involved in the power play for most of the year and getting his goals at even strength. And, you know, they were coming few and far between for a while, but now this little streak has really sort of uh, bumped his total up nicely. And what's he got, 12 assists as well? He got a he does, 12 goal. assists. So, so he's a... Uh... on the second goal. Um, yeah, lucky one, but he's uh, on the second goal of the assist. He he kind of won yeah. a battle, didn't he, in front of the net? Like yeah, he went off his skate in the right direction, yeah. I guess. But he was in there battling, and he was battling all night. He only had the one shot, and the only one, one shot attempt. But he had three hits. He blocked two shots at the other end, and I thought he was sort of in the joining the battle, uh, in in all zones, and and uh, I liked his overall game. He's now fourth on the Oilers in for goal scoring behind. Mm-hmm. Um, so Drysaddle has 40, McDavid 34. Hyman has 20 goals mm-hmm. and Yamamoto has 15. So that's, uh, you know, if obviously Evander Kane's really coming on and um, putting up the goals. But man, Bruce, the Oilers have two good top lines. That The McDavid line with Kane and Yamamoto is flying. But so this is the line. Now, as everyone know, here knows, I, I wanted to see the dynamite line together this year a lot, and I have for some time. And I mentioned it constantly ad ad nauseum. And they didn't play well when they got together. 
it didn't work out. And um, I'm still a little bit mystified about why that is, but it didn't. Um, they just never, they never connected very well. They never had the magic. They never, they just seemed to lose their hunger and, and they weren't digging pucks and keeping control of the puck like they had the first time they were together. One other line though, this year that I have wanted to see together, and I've mentioned this before, was Drysaddle, Hyman and Pugliarvi. And they finally got together. I think this was their first real run tonight. Mm-hmm. And um, they were dominant, especially early in the game. And between them, they created seven even strength grade A shots, four for Dreisaitl, two for Hyman, and one for Proliarvi, who was a little bit off, who, who seemed a little bit slow yes. and Rusty. might have missed some scoring chances, but they outscored the opposition two to nothing in the game. They had one incredible shift in the second period, which was uh, 45 seconds long in the offensive zone. It wasn't one of these historic minute-long shifts that we've seen, but it was 45 second lo- seconds long of brilliant uh, puck protection passing. And this is what each of these, these are big players known for their puck protecting and passing. And this is why I wanted to see them together, because I think they can do this consistently. And it just it it's totally, I think, demoralizing, Bruce, for other teams. When you have shifts like that against you, in a game and it and of course it ended very well with darnell nurse moving in and firing in the puck kind of on a uh broken play a little bit he fired it once it hit cc then he fired it again and he put it in through a double screen of um of buffalo defenders but this is a line they scored another goal when um off the face off hyman won a physical battle and he put it to drive subtle and drive subtle got two uh, great shots and he put in the second one in the first period um they were they came close to scoring. Drysaddle broke down the wing, and uh, Hyman put in a shot um, on the same shift. I think even um, mm-hmm. through a, a screen by Pulleyarvi. Yes. This line, um, this line could work. It's got a lot of promise. And Bruce, for hockey teams to advance in the playoffs, you know this. They need lines that are better than the sum of the parts. They need lines that are magic. And the Edmonton owners have not had that this year at all, I don't think. They haven't had a line or two lines that have been that have had that chemistry, that magic. And right now what we're seeing are two lines coming together that have that. And not only that, they have a third line center in the name of Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who does his own magic on the power play especially, but he's a pretty darn good third line center coming back. So that we could have a third line with, you know, take your pick, uh, McLeod, Ryan, Fogel on the wing, and Ryan Nugent-Hodkins at center. Things are looking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that dry saddle line, there, there was one long, long shift in the second period where the t- two Buffalo forwards both broke their sticks. Yeah. It was like a, sort of like a five-on-three, but there were guys there, and, there, you know, there was... Uh, was that Drysaddle's line, though, Bruce? Was that? No, it I wasn't. think it was it Hyman. Was, it, it was. Yeah, it that, wasn't. It was, and that's, I'm getting to that yeah, okay. point. Those guys had full control. They passed the puck around the perimeter. They kept having the puck. They kept trying to shoot it. They couldn't get their shots through. They never got the puck down in close to the net. And after about a minute of uh, Oilers completely controlling the puck but not getting any shots, uh, there was a whistle. And I'm thinking, well, Buffalo's lucky to get away from from that one, and then right off the uh, subsequent face-off, it was uh, uh, the puck went off the draw forward, 
Uh, Hyman won that battle, dry settled bold to the net front, fired a shot, stayed on it, was able to pot the rebound while getting taken down to the ice. And the funny thing was that second play took six seconds and they got two shots and a goal <laughs> after like literally 60 or more seconds of, and it just the old GTTFN, right? That uh, dry settle and, and Hyman, but they, you know, they took it to the net. That's how McDavid scored too, was by going hard to, yeah. the, to the net and cleaning up the garbage in close. They don't all have to be pretty. Well, dry settle actually was fairly pretty for his 40th of the season. And that line, you know, they were unlucky not to score more. I mean, dry settle, he, he made a number of, I made mean, one great backhand pass right across the slot to was Bouchard. Uh, he made one, oh, yeah. uh, he set Hyman in on a clear cut breakaway and Hyman sandwiched oh, it off the glass. Yeah. But you know, there was, there was lots of uh, chances and Pooley Arby, as you say, was just a little bit, a little bit rusty and just sort of, you know, and sort of a Bit second, slow to react to situations. But. You know, I didn't mind the when they when the two sabers broke their sticks. First of all, I can't remember seeing that. Like, like <laughs> that's a pretty rare thing to happen for that long. Yeah. And I didn't mind them actually because the the worst thing you want you don't want to happen is a bad shot where the goalie makes an easy save, he gloves it down, right? Or it's a bad shot that that um rebounds through. So you have a you have a great opportunity to make a cross seam pass there, but it it takes working the puck around, and they did Bruce get a great cross seam pass, and the only thing was McLeod couldn't finish on it. He it went off his stick and he didn't get a shot, so they did work their way to the shot that they were looking for. You know the five alarm shot, and so I was actually okay with how they how they handled that. I thought it was the right thing to do because the last thing you want is like firing off someone's shin pads and that they can change change the ice or miss the net or have the goalie make an easy save. So uh, nonetheless, the efficiency, the brutal efficiency of Leon Dreisettle in the next mm-hmm. shift was very it stood out. <laughs> it did. What's and your bad? Perimeter. No, that's perimeter stuff. Let's take it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, my bad thing is uh, a little bit too much deference shown by uh, players in excellent shooting position to go for that extra pass. And I thought there was four or five, uh, in fact, I know there was four or five situations in this game where Oilers had uh, Buffalo outnumbered around their net two two on one, and they wound up not getting a shot. I mean, there was even a two on O, David, where McDavid came in on a breakaway and Kane joined him and McDavid tried to feed it over to Kane. They said that... uh, Defenseman touched it. I'm not sure. Kane, he went under the end of Kane's stick, and they wound up with nothing out of that. And then there was one where I thought Drysaddle should have shot, and he passed it off to Pulleyarby. And then there was another one where Drysaddle should have passed to Pulleyarby, but then Pulleyarby tried to pass it back to Drysaddle instead of put, you know, shooting. If Leon gives you the puck on the two-on-one, he probably wants you to shoot. And uh, yes, I didn't shoot. And uh, Oh man, there was a couple more of them. There was there was a, a just too many plays of that type in the game. And I mean, this is a detail, but this is a detail that that could be improved on. And there wasn't too much to knock in that game, but uh, wasting chances without a shot is always uh, you know it's a pet peeve of a lot of people, I'm sure. And sometimes you know the extra pass like. Shoot! Oh, nice pass! You know, because the puck's in the net because the guy's made fooled everybody who thinks he should shoot, and and he set up somebody at the back door. And 
those passes don't always click. But you know what? If you have a 20% sh- if you have a 20% shot, but you have a uh, 75% chance at making a pass for a 50% shot, that's probably better to make the pass. But when the pass misses, then it looks bad. So there's a little bit of that. But I I just thought there was a couple times they just need to let fly. You know what? One of the things that can happen on a two-on-one. You shoot the puck and your teammate's going for the net. It's called a rebound. And it's also called called chaos that is created by the original shot. And sometimes the rebound is easier to put in than even the perfect cross seam pass. So Yeah. I I the first power play, Bruce, that really stood out for me in terms of overpassing the puck. Um, I just thought as soon as I saw the power play go to work, it just struck me, okay, here's here's the here's the reason the power play failed. Here's the reason that for, for two months, this power play could get nothing done. They were back to that old habit of moving. The, like they had, especially early on, there was one or two moments when they could have shot and they didn't. Right. And the power play success, you know, the, the increased power play activity that they've had in the last few games where the power plays look better has been because they've had Bouchard back there hammering it away and Dry Settle's been shooting it. They've all been shooting it. And they just got back to the fancy passing and... um perimeter passing you know they're just yeah. sort of taking time off the clock because they're going around you know the center defenseman to the two guys on the two wings but nobody's ever seeming to take it into the middle they're waiting for i don't know what exactly but uh sometimes it's frustrating so mike smith was the first star i i thought he played okay but he didn't yep. get much traffic uh he didn't get much action there was a there was a couple ch- really tough chances in the first period grade a shots mm-hmm. one one by um uh tage the skinner the skinner shot obviously was a was a hard like he's a sniper and he's in there alone and he's got all kinds of time to pick a spot and smith stopped that but a moment later tage thompson breaks down the wing and right from the inner slot puts one in and hit smith's shoulder so there were a couple really big saves mm-hmm. i would have given it to dry settle uh, out of the first star in that game and I wouldn't have been in it's not I don't think it's close I just thought he was fantastic his passing all game long he made mm-hmm. incredible passes that were you know he dazzled he absolutely dazzled uh, my bad thing isn't that though it's uh, I'm just complaining about that my bad thing is the stick from Vinny Histroza Hinestroza to Connor McDavid's face and I just you know sick of it obviously it's just sick of it you know I just I He's get, he gets he gets too much uh, negative attention, and when they start to get the stick up at his face, they just think like it's just an a hole move. By maybe he didn't mean it. I don't know. It just bugs me. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's distressing to see, especially when you see a replay of a stick under the visor. You know. Yeah. That that's uh, that can have really disastrous. Uh, um, catastrophic even results when a stick gets under the visor as this one did coming up but it, it was just uh, actually uh, after it hit him in the face and it kind of caught the visor on the way up but fortunately there was no stick to eye contact which was this when i first saw the replay i thought oh no uh, seen that yeah or too many times but uh, uh I don't think so. He had a bandage down on his chin in the, at the end of it. And they didn't need him after that. They were right to hold him out other than probably everybody would like to see him play one shift just so they knew he was. Just so you know, I think fine. he's, uh, yeah, I think he's probably okay. I don't know. I don't, we haven't, I don't know if we've heard from Jay Woodcroft. I, I, I didn't listen yet, but. Uh, when you have a 6-1 lead, you know, let the bullpen 
clean up the game in, in long relief. You know, you don't need to hit any more homers. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, what is you your? Mentioned, you mentioned Mike Smith's uh, star, and I mean, it's, it's ridiculous that a goalie be first star out of that game. Yeah. Uh, because it was a game that was dominated by the team. Uh, I didn't mind him getting picked as one of the stars. I thought he looked good, and I, I thought his puck handling looked really good. He was really coming out hard, fielding pucks sharply, moving them, making good passes, hitting the teammates with his passes. And that's something very different that we haven't seen for a while because on those occasions Smith's been in, he hasn't been sharp. And uh, Koskinen's puck handling, the less we say about that, the better. But there is some, it adds an element. When you talk about the puck movement out of the back end by the defenseman, well, when you got the goalie getting the puck to the defenseman with room to turn around and find a target and, and send it along, it's going to make them all look good. So I will tip my hat to that aspect of Smith. And he was solid. He was good, you know. Uh, uh, he looked more. healthier. He looked yes. like he was moving okay, didn't Like, he looked like... Physically There's been better. times, games this year, where he just like, like, what the heck is going on? He doesn't look right. But he finally looked actually like he was... And, you know, to, to, to hand it to him, Bruce, listen... Mm-hmm. If we had done a poll, I didn't do a poll. If we had done a cult of hockey poll, I'm sure there like 90% of the fans would have said, like, no, we don't want to see Mike Smith again. It, it maybe at least 80%. And I think it's gonna it would have been about 90%. If we they've had enough of Mike Smith, they want to see a different goalie. He came in, he came in there and he made a couple uh stops on five alarm shots in the first period when the game was close. And um you know, he shoved it down our throats of the, of the critics, right? He 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 came up with a winning game. So good for you, Mike Smith. Uh, good for Mike Smith. Way to go. May you do this for the rest of the season, every single game, sir. <laughs> no, no, it was, it was just he, he looked he looked way healthier, you know. Yeah. There, were, there were times earlier in the season where, you know, he'd go down to make a save and then, you know, trying to regain his his feet. And he reminded me of me getting out of bed in the morning, you know, cranky old man, sore back, trying to stand up straight, you know. <laughs> anyway, it was, uh, uh, he looked he looked way more uh, uh, sort of physically loose and comfortable. And that's good to see. He had had five pretty iffy starts in a row before this game and um so this was this was a nice turnaround so that could be big you know it's obviously huge for the oilers if if smith and koskin are both healthy there is a chance you know there's a chance the Oilers could get some decent or even good goaltending for the rest of the year um it doesn't look like they're going to trade for a goalie so here we are this is what we're relying on so we better be you know might as well start cheering because Ain't mm-hmm. nothing going to change. I guess you can always hope for Skinner to come back if if that's and, and that may well happen, right? That's that's in the cards if things don't work out with Smith or with with Koskinen. If one of the two, you know, gets hurt or doesn't play well, Smith uh, Skinner will be back. What's your he's number? More, he's more of a Plan C now, Skinner, yeah. than he was last year, especially the year before when they had just the two guys and they were going to live or die with them, and they died with them both years. So at least Skinner is. Uh, much more prepared to be an NHL goalie, but I'm almost certain we'll see one of the veterans or both the veterans in the playoffs. And I'm starting to become more confident about those again. So my number, uh, I'm going to go with two, three, and 14. Uh, That is two goals, three assists, 
and 14 shots on net by the order six defensemen in this game. Uh, really strong uh, offensive uh, performance by the D. And the guys taking the shots are the guys you might expect. Nurse with five, Barry with four, uh, Bouchard with four, and uh, Keith Cece and Russell just one among the three of them. So those are the guys you probably want shooting the puck. And uh, racking up the points and being involved in the offensive game. You know, in the previous 14 games, the Oilers had two goals from defensemen. And one of them was like a 180-foot empty netter by Nurse in the Winnipeg game. And the other one was um, Cody Cece got a got a big goal going to the net against uh, Washington last week. But, you know, once in a while, you need your, you know, you talk about your bottom six scoring. Well, if you get your back six contributing to the uh, offense as well. I mean, there's a night where the defenseman scored two goals, one each for Barry and Nurse, and the team allowed one. Well, you're going to win that game 100% of the time now, aren't you? So anyway, kudos to the to the D-men for, uh, uh, for bringing it offensively. And I mean, you talked about their puck movement in their own zone, but I thought they were effective also in Buffalo's zone. They were indeed... Yeah, it would be interesting to look up probably by, you know, there's been a lot of injuries. So, like, if you look at total points for the defense, it could be a little misleading because Nurse has been out, Keith's been out, Cece's been yeah. out. Um, but uh, it might be interesting to look at that, even strength kind of totals. Um, Barry, I think, yeah, Barry's been out too. Um, so my number, Bruce, is 40 to 19. And that is the number of five alarm shots the Oilers have had compared to the opposition in the last four games, 40 to 19. They've doubled up in terms of five and five alarm shots are just they're they're the equivalent of breakaways. Uh, That's how often they're 33% plus chance of going in according to our estimation when we watch them. And um, they've they've been, so they had 14, it was 14 to four against Washington, 11 to four against Tampa. 11 to 7 against Detroit and it was again 14 to 4 tonight against oh. Buffalo. So they played two strong teams and two weaker teams and this dominance this you know what I call their A plus game which emerged against Washington. So now it's four games. It's a little bit bigger of a sample size that we're seeing. It's not enough to say oh they will the owners have definitely turned a corner here but with the talent that we see on the team I think very real talent players with established track records of success and production. This, this is a team, you know, it's, it frustrates me when, when the owners go into Calgary, for instance, that was the last game they lost and, and the five alarm shots in that game were five for the orders and seven for Calgary, by the way. So mm-hmm. when the orders go into a team and they like, they just don't compete it just bothers me. Cause I, I think the orders are as good a team as the Calgary flames. And um, I don't, they should be able to. They should be able to go in there and and play that team and beat that team. In my estimation of the Oilers, I think they can do it. So um, this is what I want to see. Obviously, as an Oilers fan, and I'm glad I'm seeing it. And and we are seeing it. And I and I, I didn't break out the even strength numbers here, but I think they're just as dominant. And yeah. and it, this is mostly coming at even strength, which yes. is a new thing for the Oilers this year. Um, they're really getting it done there, and that's. Even strength plays crucial. Yeah, Woodcroft. That's one of the parts of the Oilers game, and of course, it's a it's a, it's the biggest part. It's five on five. It's three quarters of the game typically, or even more. Uh, and 
the Oilers are, are are winning that part of the game under Woodcroft. Anyway, the four games you mentioned are the first four games of the current five-game homestand. And you think, well, if you're going 45 alarm shots and it's going to score on, on a, a third of them, that's like 12 or 13 goals. That's a lot of goals to be getting. That. Well, you look, count up the, the homestand. They got four on Washington, four on Tampa Bay, seven on Detroit, now six on Buffalo, 21 goals in four games. And all of a sudden now the offense is starting to, to uh, you know, cook with gas. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's uh, oh, but they're earning those goals. It's not like they're just getting bounces and stuff that's going their way. They're, they're uh, creating uh, highly dangerous scoring chances, and they're putting a fair number of them away. So one more game against New Jersey on this current homestand, and this is the game that scares me. I was actually pretty confident tonight because I thought mm-hmm. after, I thought the Detroit game was pretty probably pretty humbling for the Oilers yeah. to be up three nothing. It probably felt like a loss, and it probably felt like a lot of players probably felt like they had screwed up after that game, yeah. were kicking themselves and thinking, "I got to do better." Yeah. And and now after this, you know. This this run a good play like let's see what happens against New Jersey. It's a game again that's two points. They because their schedule is tough after yeah. New Jersey. The rest of the year it's a tough schedule. It might be one. Yeah. It's probably one of the toughest in the Western Conference, if not the entire NHL. And um, they're on this hot streak. They're dominant. And can they keep it up? Can they keep this thing going? Yeah, yeah, for sure. They've got all three of their games left with Colorado, who are merely in first place overall in the league, and the Oilers haven't played them yet. So that's uh, uh, part of the more taxing schedule down the down the stretch. Well, we looked at this homestand. We thought the first two games are going to be pretty tough, and then the last three, you know, in theory, those are winnable games. And here we are, having won those first two, and and uh, uh, having. Uh, Bent but not quite broken against Detroit, and then tonight, you know, they looked like they actually learned from that and just paid a lot more attention to detail in the second half of the game. So uh, lots of uh, lots of positive arrows right now, and a uh, long way to go yet, of course. But uh, we're now up to that was game 61, and the Oilers are up to uh, 72 um, points. 72 points. Okay. Yeah. 11 games over 500. Back with, after 21 games, they were 11 over 500 at 16 and 5. And so now we're at what? Uh, 34, 23, and 4. Uh, I think that's right. And they are. Uh, Seven so they've, games. They've above, just gone uh, 500 since. Uh, since that uh, December 1st when they were 16 and 5, but they, you know, they're way below. I mean, they had that 2 11 and 2 run and they haven't quite erased it, uh, but they, they've made up most of the, most of the deficit from that, uh, from that span. Hey, we saw another choice tip or Woodcroft timeout tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, McDavid had just rushed up the ice, was tired, and he called the timeout before the power play. It was a really smart move by the coach. Mm-hmm. Could, like, why don't why didn't that? I don't I don't have a. I didn't dislike Dave Tippett's coaching, the way he handled the team. Like you know, by the time McClellan left, I was done, and you know, I was kind of always on the fence with Tippett because he had had great success, really strong success for two mm-hmm. and a quarter years, and then it just all fell apart. But one thing I didn't like was the timeout thing. He just never called a timeout when it seemed like an apt moment to do so. And here's Woodcroft, power play, you, mm-hmm. your your star's tired, call a timeout, 
burn the timeout, rest him up, and get out there, try to score a goal, put the game away. I, I really like the move. Yeah, well, there's no point in banking them. And, and, you know, the funny thing is you see a coach hold their timeout. They, they don't need to hold it now for a coach's challenge, so that's gone away. But you see a coach saying, well, I might need it in the last minute of the game. And then you get to the last minute of the game, and one coach calls his timeout, and then there's another whistle, and the other coach calls his timeout. And you're going, well, whose advantage is it really when both coaches maybe are going to use it? Call, use your timeout when it's to your specific advantage. Whenever that yeah. thing happen in the game, use it to your advantage. And he did that there, even as the power play itself really didn't get a lot done thereafter. But the the uh, message from the coach was pretty clear. This is a crucial time of the game, and we want to have our best out there and, and playing their best. So that's the kind of thing that I think filters through to the team eventually. So the Oilers uh, have one game in hand on Los Angeles, and they're two points back. Nice. They have one game in hand on Vegas, and they're four points ahead. Uh, Vancouver has played the same number of games in, as the Oilers, and they're five points back. So um, that's the race. The Oilers are in a, in a good spot, goodish spot, but the, these things can quickly, you get a couple losses and it quickly goes away. Um, Eichel, I guess, went out in the third period and didn't come back for, for Vegas tonight. Oh, so yeah. we'll see. Oh, King, Kings uh, won their game three to nothing over LA, so it's back to four points behind, but with two games in hand. Oh, they're, there you go. It's probably not in the standings there yet, David, but it's... Uh, uh, let me just see now if it is, yeah. I'm reading off the... Well, I've just... The, oh, I think they're going to catch the Kings, Bruce. I, Vegas they, is leading Florida 4-3 to three late in the third period, so they're, uh, they're desperate after after a horrible road trip where they lost all the well, games in regulation, but hopefully Florida will... Uh, come back. Unleash their high-powered... Offense when they need it down the stretch here. All right. Could type, tighten up all of a sudden, like I see, you know, so. Well, the thing about winning your games is that if you, if the other team loses, you've gained two points on them. If the other team wins, you haven't lost anything to them. So you, you've avoided disaster by looking at taking care of your own business. And, you know, not every night it's going to be, well, we win and everybody else that we're, that we're battling with loses like happened a couple nights ago. Tonight, they just merely, you know, held serve. They got their win, and they didn't sort of give back the two points they made last time. And, uh, you know, overall, they're inching forward. Inchworm. All right. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for talking tonight. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.